Hello and welcome to the Dairy Dialogue podcast and to November. As the Northern Hemisphere starts to see darker nights and snow and those living in the southern regions look forward to a great summer. Having said that, what's good for one person isn't necessarily good for another. While it might be great for enjoying the outdoors, the agriculture sector doesn't necessarily respond well to prolonged periods without rain. I'm Jim Cornell, editor of Dairy Reporter, and it's a slightly shorter than usual show this week because I'm having to produce it early as I'm currently at another event, this time Food Tech Eurasia in Istanbul. Seems a bit odd recording this saying I'm in Turkey when I haven't left home yet, but because this goes out on a Friday, I have to pretend I'm already there. However, I'm not tempting fate by saying how great the weather is just in case. While we're not specifically talking about climate on this week's episode, we will be looking at the health of the planet insofar as the issue of plastics and the food industry is concerned, with PFF Packaging Group, and also hearing from Morelli's, an ice cream company in Northern Ireland, which is expanding its operations. First this week, in the UK, a new budget was passed by the government, and, in among all the usual politics to try and appeal to absolutely everybody, was a call for a tax of 30% on the manufacture and import of single-use plastics containing less than 30% recycled material. To explain exactly what this means, and if it's a good idea, or even if it goes far enough, we spoke to PFF Packaging Group, the UK's largest independent producer of thermoformed plastic food packaging. To tell us more is Group Managing Director Kenton Robbins. The budget came down and there's this plastic tax. Is that something that you had anticipated or um, did it come out of the blue? Yeah, I think the various packaging associations had all given an indication that they felt that something was going to be applied in the budget. They wouldn't be specific, but I'm sure they probably knew more than they were letting on. Uh, But it was a bit of a surprise that actually they positioned it in the way that they have. Two points, really. First of all, they are clearly saying it's in consultation and that is it, which is quite interesting. So rather than clearly saying that they are going to do something, they're indicating that they might do something as opposed to taking a very proper stab at there will be something done. And having been involved in a couple of white paper consultations in the past, they don't always come to fruition in the way that you probably think they're going to. So it will be interesting to see what actually happens with regard to that. But that said... It's the right thing to do, I think, in lots of ways. Does it go far enough, do you think? I think it's a start, is the honest answer, because you've got... We're we're quite lucky. We're well-placed. The business has put, in the last 10 years, environmental credentials absolutely front and centre of itself. So, from the point of view of, we already exceed 30% by quite a margin. In fact, some of our products are up to 80% recycled products and are only actually using 90 10% 10% virgin material sometimes because we use our uh, post manufacturer recyclers as well. So none of our none of our plastics leave our site unless they're going away to be reprocessed and be reused in our products. We're very lucky in some respects, but we've we've invested heavily to do that over the years, and we've taken a degree of challenge with regard margins uh, around that to make sure that we are well placed. And, and lo and behold, it is probably going to stand us in really good stead going forward. What's quite interesting is that a lot of a lot of manufacturers don't have have any recycler. They run on 100% virgin material. 
and it's going to be a massive leap for them to all of a sudden re reposition themselves commercially to put recyclers in there. Depending on their manufacturing processes, if they're extruding their own PET sheet or PP sheet, then they've got more of a chance of doing it. But if they're buying sheeting entirely, trying to buy in sheet that's made from recycling, it's going to be even harder. That's what consumers demand, so they're going to have to bite the bullet, it I is. suppose. Uh, absolutely. It is absolutely the right thing to do, without a doubt. I mean, you know, we are fully supportive of it. There's no doubt in my mind that there should have been more of a push to ensure that there is a greater level of recycling quality product in the UK for years. It shouldn't be something that we're just looking at now. And that, that maybe links into a greater, wider consumer debate now than it ever has done before. But in reality, there is, there is not a good source of feedstocks in the UK because the local authorities don't recycle the products to a level that it really warrants it. Right. A lot of our uh, a lot of our products to get the quality of product that we need is not an easy thing to do, and we've looked at ourselves in, in joint ventures with our local authorities and currently evaluating: do we want to actually invest ourselves in in recycling plants locally to use local authority waste and actually keep it local wherever possible? You'd think, wouldn't you, that in this day and age, that actually we were much better at recycling than we probably are, but in reality. It's a difficult thing to make sure that we get it in the right way, the right quality. And that's not necessarily down to the lack of investment within the, uh, I think, the waste chain. When you actually look at the quality of the waste that's being put into the blue bins and the green bins, and depending on where you're on the country, whatever your bin is, when it comes to plastic, we are not good at recycling as a nation. We need to get better. You see metal going through there that's clearly not of a recycled type and so on and so on. And it's like this constantly. So there's always a degree of battle with regards to trying to make sure that there is there is product that we can utilize and there's product that we can work with. And as you, as you said earlier, it, it, in some ways it's it's a start rather than a definitive yeah. ending. It's going to be interesting to see how a lot of the retailers respond to this because if they've got products that are coming from a company that, that can't realistically source in any short period of time, a raw material sheet that's got that level of recycling in it, they're going to see their prices go up without a doubt. And the recycler that we buy in at the moment, the, the, the chipped, basically bottle flake chip, is at more or less the same price as virgin material. Whereas historically, there was, there was a bit of an advantage to using it to a degree if you'd invested in the machinery in the right way. There's an increased cost in manufacturing, the yield are different, etc. But you could do it. You could achieve it if you worked hard at it. But those manufacturers that probably haven't even focused on it are now going to be so far behind the game, they're going to lose out. Do you think that because of the major issues environmentally that consumers would be willing to pay extra? Or do you think that they're expecting <laughs> the companies to, to eat that cost? Well, I think you know the answer to that question. And I think they're going to expect the manufacturers to eat the cost because... There is a massive assumption that if you're a manufacturing company, you make loads of money. The reality is very different. You know, if you're a manufacturing company in the plastic industry that's making more than 15% EBIT, then you're doing very, very well. The majority of them will be making single-digit EBIT, I would have thought, in reality. And do you think that companies that are looking to make changes will be able to make changes quickly, or do you think it's going to take them a long time to make that transition? No, I don't think they're going to be able to transition quickly because if, if, if we already struggle to buy in good quality recycled material, 
everybody else is going to struggle to buy and recycle material and economic pressures will come into play. We've already seen an increase, an increased polymer price across the whole of the UK and Europe this year that's roughly 20, 26% more now than it was at the beginning of the year. And now they're just reflected in the recycler prices as well. The bottling industry saw massive increases this year with regards to volume based on the summer that we've had. They were up to 50% increase year on year. Now, in theory, that, that product has gone back into the recycling chain. You know, drink bottles in the UK are some of the highest levels of recycling. You know, can be as high as 76% in certain areas. But we've not seen that in the feedstocks coming into play in the UK. So I can only assume that some of those bottling companies are already absorbing that feedstock themselves and trying to consume it. Is this is this an issue that will be replicated globally, or are some countries doing better than others? Well, generally speaking, the countries where labour is cheaper, you get better recycling. And any country that's probably got a level of economic value that values the recycling of things, i.e. collecting and picking it up and moving it, back into the chain because there's value there, they generally are better at recycling than we are as westernised countries because we have a throwaway mentality around things. The programme that the uh, that the BBC ran about the waste tide in the world and they were in, I think it was Indonesia or somewhere where they were in the river where the fishermen had gone from collecting fishing basically to starting to collect plastic, that indicates a change of behaviours that is very often the case because it's probably more economically valuable for them to collect plastic than it is to fish. But where there's value in recycling, that's where it's really important. But quite often those countries are recycling it, but they're not using it locally. They're recycling it and selling it on a global market because it has greater value. What do you see the, the next steps being here is in terms of the government? More consultations? Well, I think that there is, there is going to be more consultations ongoing and more support from regards to packaging associations, etc. We seem to consider the plastic to be a plastic issue, where it's got nothing to do with plastic at all. This whole issue is a humanistic and a human, human being issue. We choose to let that product get to where it gets to. We either throw it out of our windows or we don't recycle it correctly. Now, the plastic doesn't know where it is funnily enough, and the plastic can be recycled and recycled and recycled. All I want all I want is to get my plastic back so I can recycle it. It's our problem as humans about where we put it and what we do with it. Yet for some reason we think it's a plastic problem. Very if we were more responsible and we were more committed to recycling and behaving correctly and responsibly, we'd have more recycling and we would use it over and over again. I mean, it's about a lot of it is about the common misconceptions about what is the real measure here because we focus greatly, and, and more recently, we've seen some very disturbing images of the turtle in the injunction, I think it was, with a straw embedded in its nose and having it removed. And it's caused outrage. And there's people going around that are no longer using plastic straws as a result of that. And I, I fully buy into that. You know, there, there are plenty of alternatives there for those straws. But there must be probably a, maybe a few videos that are original videos rather than copies of the original one of that turtle with the straw in its nose, yet there must be tens of thousands of videos on the internet of turtles caught in fishing nets, yet nobody's refusing to use fishing nets or trying to ban fishing nets. And That's... if you think the fishing industry accounts for 10 to 12% of all the plastic pollution in the sea, straws don't account for 10 to 12% of the plastic pollution in the sea. <laughs> they, they, they play a very small part in this whole picture because it's something that's put right in front of a consumer's face and they're meant to feel guilty about it 
they'll take a decision not to not to use a straw, yet they'll quite happily buy another pair of trainers at the weekend out of non-recycled products, plastics that are that are very damaging to the environment. So it's more about really at this point, it's as much about education and about trying to educate consumers as it is the actual recycling. Without a doubt, because the education of of all of us, no matter no matter how much you understand this this problem or how much you care about it from an environmental point of view, greater levels of recycling cannot take place without greater levels of consumer input of that product into the recycler. One one is directly connected to the other. We can put oh, the yeah. best recycling in the world in our facilities in our uh, in our local authorities. I can commit to buying as much as I can from within a 50-mile radius of my company, but if we don't put it in there, it will never be in the chain. The whole point is we've got to get more into the chain, and that's got to be down to the way that we behave as consumers of plastic in one way or another. We've absolutely bought into the media hype that black plastic is non-recyclable, yet Mm. it is recyclable. It's a very easy and a relatively low financial outlay for a recycling plant to put a put an indicator in the plant that actually makes a hit, as they would refer to it as, on black plastic. Now, it's harder, but it's not, not impossible. Black plastic plays a very, very important part in the whole recycling chain of the plastics industry. Because if you don't have black plastic, any colored plastics can't be recycled into clear. So we either, you either need to have completely clear plastic, or you need to have some sort of color in there as well, like black. Otherwise, it can't be recycled. I can't put black recycled or, or what's referred to as jazz, which is coloured flakes, yellows, reds, pinks, blues, from lots of other bottles into clear products. I can only put that into black. There's a bigger, there's a bigger education that needs to be done of the there public is. as to just the uh, let's, let's recycle. There's going to see more and more of a push, and I think as a company we're very, very well placed, and that's through a bit of long-term planning, but also good luck as well, I think. We only really produce two, two main types of plastic. That's PET and polypropylene. Now, most retailers are going to align themselves into only using those two plastics because they are the most easy to recycle and they are the most versatile from a manufacturing point of view with regards to practicality of the plastic. So, therefore, they offer a very optimal, cost-effective, recyclable solution. But other products, PVC products, polypropylenes that are ingrained with other things and PET that have got uh, polyethylene layers on them for things like bacon trays, bacon packs, so that the top web seals on them, they're very difficult to recycle because they're mixed plastics. So the more we all focus on trying to use less types of plastic, the more opportunity you've got to generate a good stream of recycler. And that's what's absolutely key here. If we take the measure, the real true measure of what's the impact on the environment, Plastic outweighs almost every every material. You know, glass, incredibly expensive to recycle from a calorific point of view about the amount of energy and kilojoules that need to put in to heat it to a point that you can reuse it and the processing that comes with it. Same with aluminium, same with steel. And then if you take the impact on manufacturing papers with regard to water, they're probably four or five times more hungry for water when it comes to the manufacturing process than the plastic manufacturing type. And if you think about environmental impact of water, that's absolutely fundamental. All these different areas are just unseen, though, to a consumer, unless it's a consumer that's prepared to educate themselves. It isn't a plastic issue. Generally, it's a waste issue. You can obviously tell I'm quite passionate about trying to make sure that the base is informed correctly because 
you know, when you when you think that as a as a company, you know, PFF is 27 years old. We supply a significant amount of of the food that everybody eats on a daily basis, and when you all of a sudden see a degree of of hatred whipped up around a few products that are basically around food, and you think, okay, so we don't live without food and water, yet we have no hatred towards any polyester products that are any covers to clothing. Nobody seems to be really highlighting that one of the highest uses of, of virgin plastic and non-recyclable plastics is the health and beauty aisle in your, in your shop. So if you walk down that health and beauty aisle in a large supermarket, it is entirely full of virgin polymer, and it's usually been colored to a point that it's very difficult to recycle. Yet nobody seems to be saying, why have we not got a shampoo bottle tax? It is a massively wider issue. Yet they, pick, they, they, they seem to have picked on coffee cups, funnily enough. They seem to have picked up on elements of black trays, which is crazy, really, in some respects. And actually, now we're talking about trying to tax things when we haven't put the recycling in place with regards to the processes to do it. And none of us are behaving correctly enough to really be proud of the way that we recycle. It is... It is an interesting debate that's going to actually be sparked from this and probably going to continue now for the next decade until we probably all get our act in order. And there are plenty of manufacturing companies that actually have put no effort into recycling products and put no effort into developing their entire supply chain that engages with the supply chain rather than pushes back on it. Yet, unfortunately, it's food that seems to have got picked up on. One of the essential natures of our survival and how we deliver it efficiently is one of the things that's getting picked up as being the most detrimental. Yet in reality, all of the food packaging that's now wrapped in plastic was generally pushed by the push to reduce food waste. Let's have it fresher for longer, let's not throw it away, let's get the quality higher, let's keep the meat fresher for longer. Next up on the programme is Arnaldo Morelli, Managing Director at Morelli's, a Northern Ireland ice cream company that has completed the third and final phase of a major three-year investment programme with support from Ulster Bank. The company has invested £700,000, or about $894,000, since 2015, and Arnaldo can tell us a bit more about the project and what it means for the future of the company. Well, what does it do for... Ice cream sales this time of year, does it start to decline? Well, yeah, it starts to, um, this, the season starts to um, starts to sort of tail off around Halloween now. So we keep going until Halloween. And then we have ice cream parlors on the North Coast, so um, they're very seasonal. And, but because we supply outside of our own um, shops, we, you know, the likes of the supermarkets and stuff are more all year round now. So it's not too bad. The the scoop side does um, does drop a good bit now. So it's steady enough all year round. It's not as seasonal a business as it used to be. And and where do you sell to? I mean, just within Northern Ireland or beyond? We deliver all over Ireland. Primarily, our our business is in is in Northern Ireland. About seventy percent of our business would be scoop ice cream. So um, that's via our own family stores, and then we have franchise stores. And we have um, a couple of hundred independent retailers then that we supply. So they would have branded cabinets in their stores and then we supply and fill turnkey service to them. And then the rest of the business, the other 30% is made up of retail and that's pre-filled retail packs. And we supply Tesco here in Ireland with those and also a wide range of independent retailers too. 
how many flavours would you have, or would that vary? We sell about 50 different flavours of ice cream, and that's on the scoop side. So we do about 45 flavours of ice cream, and then we do a range of sorbet and a range of frozen yogurt as well. On the retail lines, we supply a 950ml pack um, to Tesco, and we do four different flavours in those. And then we have a 125ml um, spoon and lid style tub, and we do five flavours in those. Obviously, you've been expanding lately. What's that involved? We started out on our expansion um, three years ago, and we've done a bit of work and um, developed a business plan. And we decided that um, I think every business goes through the stage where you have to ask yourself the question, are you happy to stand still or do you want to push on and um, expand? And we decided that we, we wanted to expand the business. So three years ago, we embarked on a £700,000 investment program. We've done that over three stages, over three years. And the final stage we've just completed, and that's um, we expanded our unit into next door. And we've done a bit of work at, um, enlarging the, the production floor. And the year before, we added a new cold room, freezer room for storage. And the year before that, we invested in new equipment. So thankfully, those three stages are now complete. So it's now time to push on and hopefully um, expand our sales. And and what's that done for for sales? Has that in- increased sales already? We've managed to double our business in those three years. Our business plan has exceeded all expectations. We've been delighted with progress so far. I think what it has allowed us to do is to increase our sales of the retail packs. The retail lines are a bit more labour intensive because we, we hand fill all our ice cream. So we were always worried that in the summertime when it was busy, we couldn't really cope with the demand on those. So this has allowed us to um, obviously plan a bit ahead and build the stocks up of those more labour-intensive um, lines in the wintertime. So it's it's worked out very well. Has it led to more jobs as well? Yeah, we've um, over those three years, we've probably taken on about five or six new positions. We are, Our current numbers are 20. We hope to recruit some more um, in the next three years as well. But in terms of production, um, staff, etc., you know, we've, we've taken on probably three extra in the last two to three years. I suppose, and when you embark upon expansion as well, it's it's sometimes difficult to not not know whether you're going to overstretch yourself or not. It is, yes. Um, I think we have the benefit of we we have a strong retail business up here on the north coast. Our ice cream parlors are um, an institution. They've been here since the early 1900s. So it's give us a, um, a good foundation to build the wholesale business upon. Those um, shops are obviously customers of the wholesale, um, especially and good customers, especially in the summertime when um, it's a very seasonal, it's a, a holiday location um, up here in the Causeway Coast. So um, it's a very popular spot for, for visitors from all over Gordon Ireland and, and now further afield, thankfully. So that's, that's proved to be um, the foundation for the expansion. I think as well with um, in, in terms of you mentioned tourism, I think movies and television have certainly helped to, to push that along recently, haven't they, for the Giants Causeway? Yes, yes, tourism and on the north coast here is, is going through a, um, a, an absolute boom. We're attracting visitors from all over the world. We have the 
the golf, the Open Championship coming to Royal Rush next year. We also have a lot of tourism, um, a lot of the Game of Thrones um, locations are, are up here on the North Coast. We've seen a, a, a big increase in visitors, especially from the USA, and wanting to see the different locations where that show was filmed. Um, that's helped tourism. But I think um, Northern Ireland as a whole is, is experiencing a boom in tourism, and that's, you know, that's fantastic for everybody here. Obviously, you, you're towards the end of the expansion process now, or do you now just take stock and just keep going ahead, or are there more plans for new products? We have a we have a sales plan in place. We hope to expand our retail lines. We're going to be hopefully introducing um, a multi-pack for our small individual tubs. We'd like to expand our retail lines as well. We're looking at developing a vegan ice cream as well. There's a, an ever-increasing demand for that. So in terms of products, yes, we, we are looking at new products all the time. Um, we're quite an innovative, although we've been around a long time. We're well known for our traditional flavours, but I think innovation is very important. In terms of customers, we're, we're keen to increase our sales into the Republic of Ireland. And we'd also um, love to secure a, a listing in one of the larger retailers um, across the water in GB. So I think that would be the ultimate goal. We'd be safe in the knowledge that we can cope with that extra demand. That's all we have time for this week. So please join us again next week on the Dairy Reporter Dairy Dialogue podcast.